Good morning. Welcome to our wonderful podcast this morning here at uh, Your Daily Game Face. I'm Dr. Kimberly Lannon, and I'm here to talk to you about your uh, best life and living your best life. I was thinking about you this week, Lou, because we've had lots of conversations. And apparently everybody's best life is involves putting me on the spot. Is that, <laughs> is that what I'm led well, to believe? <laughs> well, you're so good at it, yeah. right? So, But I was thinking today that I was going to ask you, um, because a lot of people wrote in last week and also yep. called and, and said lots of questions and everything. And they were like, what is your best life? So I'm like, oh, I'm going to ask Lou, because what is your best life? What's your uh, idea of what a best life is? Because that it's so different for so many people. Uh, there's some standard answers, but I thought we'd talk a little bit about that today. And also yeah. um, self-esteem issues have come up oh. and people have asked questions yeah. about um, not living in victim roles, uh, not you know relying on other people to be happy. But right. I thought we'd start today oh, yeah. with what makes you have your best life? You said it's different for different people. Right. I think it's different for everybody individually, yeah. depending on where they are. Okay. Like, for example, asking me the question now, at my age, what I've been through, peace is my best life. Uh-huh. Just, you know, being able to uh, roll off stress and not take anything too deeply and not, you know, just have peace. Just be able to set things down. That's the That's been the thing for me the last few years. So set things down, like making sure that you don't have to take things as personally or not holding on to them as much or... Well, as we've discussed, I'm a threat generator. Yeah. <laughs> so understanding that not everything is going to end up in a dumpster fire. Right. And right. understanding that uh, there's nothing I can do about that tonight. Right. So I'm going to sit down and I'm going to watch uh, Trailer Park Boys or something for there a couple hours or, or walk on the beach or whatever it is. Right. Take a couple hours to put things down and being able to shed that for a while. So how long do you think, because this is a common question I get, you know, when people come in my office, they say, how long is this going to take? How long do you think it has taken you to actually find those moments of peace now what you're generating to have a best life? Or is that, I mean, it's obviously a work in progress, but. It's interesting you use the word find because it's as much creating as finding. Right. Right. Yeah. And it took me. 50 plus years yeah. to figure it out. It's funny. We had a conversation after the last podcast, I think. And this is my thing with my kids now who are 24 and 20. It's like, I'd like you to learn these lessons before yeah. you get before you get into your 50s. Right. 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 But when I was their age, when I was 24, when I was 34 or 44 and married and had kids and stuff like that, my best life had a different definition. I'd be hard pressed to think back what that was. Mostly it was, especially when the kids were born, it was kids-oriented. Well, it's contextual, right? Yeah. It's, it's based on the, the moment that you're in or that time frame that you're in and yep. what that is. But even even back then, I would imagine, just like I see clients now in their 20s and and the best life that they're thinking is so based on getting a job, getting the right job, money. It's not about peace. It's, it's right. you know, the, the movement forward with wisdom over time that you've gotten and hopefully I've gotten. Is, well, is, is yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> It, it's, it's, it's getting fun. that peace over time. And I see people now, and we might be out, you know, whether it's the ballpark or whatever, on the beach or whatever we're right. doing, and they're sitting there and they're railing on and on about something that's going on somewhere else. Right. You know, some kind of problem. And again, we all have major problems, so, you know, you understand. You get consumed by that sure. sort of thing. But, you know, this conversation you had with a coworker, yeah, and you're on the beach and you're railing about that, it's like, okay, you know, look around you. Right. Why why are you carrying that here? You're missing out on so much because you're harboring all the stuff that has nothing to do with the moment now or going forward. Right. Right, because it's sitting on you. Yeah. We're trained to do that. We're we're just so conditioned and trained into being past-focused. And, I mean, if if there could be tons of psychology books written on it, I think that there should be about how much focus is put on what was, what could have, what should have, what didn't. Um, as opposed to here and now. I mean, there's certainly amazing things written about now and here and now and right. like Eckhart Tolle and the power of now and, and sitting with yourself in the moment and all that. But people don't no. people don't spend time there to find their, their peace or their, or their best life. And, Be- uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. I'm guessing it's because most people are 
and I don't mean this the way it's going to sound, except I do mean this the way it's going to sound. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Most people are ego-driven. Oh, yes. They're railing on about the conversation they have with a coworker because it hurt their ego. It hurt their self-image. Yes. You know, they have to reconcile it with themselves. Yeah. They're still working on that. They're not working on the conversation with the coworker or the problem. No, they're they're saving face. Right. Yeah. They're personally saving face. So, so interesting, interesting facts about ego. So people often think, and so I want to give a little bit of background on this. People often think when you say ego, you know, they think, um, you know, conceited, conceited, mm, yeah. arrogant, over the top, right? All, all descriptors that go with ego, but. It's so important, I think, for people who have a really good contemporary working knowledge of what the ego is. The ego is, you know, if you think of it as a structure, which it's not, but if you think of it as a structure in the body, you can place it, you know, near your heart or your soul if you want to think oh, of it as an entity. Can I that... sidetrack you for a second? Yes. Why do therapists always ask you, where do you feel that? Um, well, there, that's a longer answer. <laughs> I'll come back to <laughs> is that. Is it related? Yes. Okay. Yes. It, well, it is. I never understood yes. that question. Yes. I, Where I, I are you feeling that you. right now? I, I will explain that to you. Okay. Don't let me forget to All come right, back yeah. to that. Okay. Yep. Okay. Come back. All right. <laughs> okay. So so contemporary, the ego itself, I, I think of it as a structure. So the way I explain it is it's like a structure. You can think of it like your soul or your heart or some space here, or maybe you, you, a lot of clients yeah. think of it in their head. and But it's the space that is your reality manager. It's what everything when you're growing up from zero to six and then beyond, but predominantly when you're zero to six, really formulates who you are in your reality. Right. What you think of yourself, what other people think of yourself, and then the world itself and how you think of the world, right? So it's that reciprocating right. process. Now, all the damages that happen, you're stupid, you'll never be good enough, whether it's said or implied, right. or you're amazing, you're wonderful, you're over the top, whatever the messages are from coaches, parents, whatever right. it is, they create the ego reality. They create that structure to be either really full or really small, damaged, broken, torn, however right. you want to see it. So we call those those hits to the ego narcissistic injuries yeah. because the ego ends up feeling lots of damages, you know, baggage. You know, people say, oh, I brought my baggage. That's that's yep. the damage to the reality manager. Yep. Your, your, your reality manager is completely either really distorted or it's has a really good view of things. Nobody has a perfect ego. Right. Um, but that damage to the ego or the non-damage to the ego is what makes a person function at their best. And so if people don't look at their actual ability to know what their damages are or their hits to their ego the functioning that's when you get self-esteem issues anxiety issues depression issues because it really goes to can you identify underneath what hurt me so i can look at it you can't go back in the past to fix it but man you can change your reality now by alternative thoughts or finding fact and basis to this has no real merit just because somebody told me i wasn't going to make it doesn't mean that that's really true right. but people buy in you hear it long enough you buy into it you know and then you dance with the devil that you know so that or, ego or piece do you that's the struggle not necessarily buying into it and that's right. where we get into self-esteem right because if someone can hurt you if a coworker can hurt you and damage your self-image right by saying something a healthy person can say can let that go a right. healthy person well you know because they know That's how to them. moderate and yep. modulate their, their ego. They regulate their emotion because they know that it sort of bounces off of them. Plus Be- they know the truth. Right. In well, they other know words, the fact behind yeah, it, that yeah. there is no fact or that they don't believe in the fact. But when you're a little kid, go back to like being a little kid or, and you Or someone tells you you don't know what you're doing. If you are solid and you know you know, you know what you're doing, right. you understand it for what it is them issuing a statement based on what's going on on their side. Right. Right. But if you don't, but so many people don't know that on the receiving end that they, that they're receiving that and that it's triggering them for something that's already there. Then they get that spending time on the beach talking about the boss instead of like, "Eh, it's not a big deal because it doesn't actually represent me. Right. That's more about them than me. Right. But that's a hard process to get to because if you think of being a child growing up and being an adult with all those messages in your head and that narrative that sits heavy on your soul or your ego or that structure that's your reality and someone says huh you 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 didn't do a good job and you've had this little ear thing that says oh dad's in my ear or mom's in my ear or grandma's in my ear saying you're never going to be anything and it's not really present right that one comment from your boss or whoever now it sends you in a spiral of talking on the beach and ruining your peace all day long because it's it's hitting that little piece on the ego to say yeah it's going to get you and it's not going to resolve because you have never addressed it. And that's 
I mean, that's what uh, most everybody talks about in my office. And I make sure I point out that you have these, you know, shreds in your ego that you have to sort of repair, you know, tape them all together and put them back together. Because that's where, you know, when you have really big damage, if we want to go to the end extreme on ego, I mean, when people are so damaged, that's when you get like sociopathic behaviors, really pathological things that can't really be repaired because there's so much um, hurt. And the underside is shame. The underside of the ego damage is shame and guilt, which is narcissism. And narcissism comes out as that big, arrogant, conceited, I'm amazing, because the person's really not that amazing inside. They don't feel that way, but they have to tell you they are. Right. You know, the one-uppers. See, that six shows right there, narcissism. But... uh, (laughs) (laughs) Right? um, But this process starts, doesn't not start, it starts in middle school. Where you're before, well, where you're more vulnerable to this because you don't have a strong self-image and strong self-confidence normally to get into a, the social situation of say middle school, right? Where people are coming at you all the time, right. About your problems, right? And you don't know yourself well enough. You don't have enough confidence in yourself to beat that off, right? So you start to take it to heart, right? And I think many of us spend much of our uh, teens, twenties, thirties just fending this off all the time. This is constantly in your head. You're just constantly trying to save face and feel good about yourself, and that's what's stressing you out. Well, so going back, middle school is where you do see a lot of it come out, but it's really set up before that because the the child, by the time they get to 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th grade, there's not not that structure that protects. There's not the resiliency that's needed. You know, you see some kids that have great resiliency and others that don't by the time they get there, and then they're very vulnerable to the school bully, the the taunting and teasing of, of certain cliques and groups, they don't fit in. And it's because of the fact that they were set up coming up through intentionally sometimes by parents and sometimes not. Um, but to be in that position, and I think that's where, you know, so, it's so important that teachers know about these kinds of things, even though it's another extra piece of their job that they already have that's hard, um, plus, you know, counselors and other people to watch that because kids are right. so vulnerable to the things that are brought up through and by the time they get to middle school they have very minimal resiliency and the self-esteem is you know they look at another kid and you know let's take the basic grade competition you know i got a 97 you got a 94 and and i have kids that will come in and say i didn't do well and i'm waiting for what do you think i'm waiting for like the f right yep and 91. And yeah. I'm like, what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, what do you mean? Well, it wasn't a 96, and Sarah got a 97. Oh, my gosh, you know. And that's and, basic stuff that you don't think about as a right. parent. It, it's that um, the dishwasher didn't, didn't get loaded correctly, and you let slip out, and you can't do anything right. Right. Wow, that sticks. Right. That sticks big time. Huge. Or you put the dish in the wrong spot, and it's, oh, you're so stupid. Yeah. Sticks. Yeah. And, it's, and that makes them vulnerable to people in right. middle school who are going to say, you're stupid. Right. You can't and, do anything right. And parents don't realize, and it's, you know, most parents are innocuous. They don't mean what they're saying. No. But it's, By the way, and that's it's, usually you know, echoing is, what they heard. Well, right. And, yeah. it's, and it's not, we're not going to blame the parent, but what we're going to do is we're going to honor and validate for the kid or whoever, the adult, that... You, in, you interpret it. Like if your mom or dad says that to you, Lou, right? Yep. You interpreted something from that. Not only did you hear the message and you took it for you're stupid, now you've interpreted, oh my gosh, my parents who are my world at this age, right. who I know everything through there, the, you know, the pinnacle, this is before we realize in our teenagers, that, oh, they're wrong some of the time. Yeah, yeah. They're not God, right? right? That they, they don't like me. They don't think of me highly. They disrespect me. Maybe they don't love me, you yeah. know, depending on what's said. And now you've got the, you go into middle school and someone says, oh, you're so stupid. And that's like, oh, yeah. it's the hit right to the ego. But what kids don't understand in that situation, it's, it's sometimes it's vernacular. Yeah. Parent might say you can't do anything right. They don't mean it that strongly. They don't mean you can't do anything no. right. It's just right. The way, like I said, probably just regurgitating what they get as a kid. Right. 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 Again, those. So I've, I battle or this today coping, too. Or their coping strategy of how they've learned to deal with what they learned in their life. Yeah. Like so that it's not necessarily something that they've heard. More often than not, it is. But it's the how they've then coped with it. So then they're frustrated or whatever, and so when they see a behavior they don't like, they just blurt out something as a way of like managing it yeah. instead of saying, oh, that's unfortunate that you did that because that's really not the right way and yeah. you need to do it this way. Parent, people, don't, people in general, fast, fast, fast. We right. don't have time to 
have extra words. <laughs> right. Well, this is what you have to. This is one of the things you have to learn because I struggle with this today. I'm I'm a writer. Yeah. I talk for a living. You know, and my favorite saying is words mean things. Right. I'm very careful about what I say. Right. So when someone says something that's that I find particularly harsh, sometimes you have to understand it's just the way they interact. It's just right. it's just their just their way that either they can only express it that way or it didn't mean to them what it's the way it's landing with me. Right. And that's that's a very tough thing to wrap your head around sometimes. Right. And especially and it's, when it's people important to you. Right. Yeah. And and you know, and I think when people say like sleep on it, it's amazing how if you you've had this experience I'm sure, but you know, you've had something so upsetting today. Yep. You know, take the boss issue that we were talking about. And then you sleep on it and you think and you're not thinking about it, you're not ruminating, but the next day it's in it usually yeah. it's so much different because your perception has changed to calm it down because now all of a sudden you've implemented that yeah it's it's not the yeah. end of the world it's really not going to be a big deal it's you well, know that if first you visceral reaction is gone and now right. you're, you're thinking about it a little bit more clearly right yeah. and you're not taking it as personal at that point usually i mean yeah. certainly that's there's some exceptions to that rule so what's the most often what's the most common answer to your question what's your best life What's the most common? Yeah. It, so it depends on the age range of, yeah. of people. So, um, I want a family. I want kids. So it's, I it's typically my, my best career. life is having, you know, lots of, you know, 20s and 30s, late 20s, early 30s is providing, you know, best life for my family outside yep. of them. Um, kids, it's usually, you know, playing games, yep. you know, the things that are relevant to them. Sure. Um, athletes, um, it's interesting because recreational athletes, it's winning. Like what's important, you could give them every answer in the book to have a cho choice, and it's yep. winning, being the best athlete, being the best player, being the best whatever. Um, when you give someone just like a regular business person the, the question, it's often answers like peace, wisdom, patience, yeah. kindness, love, things that have come over time with experience and, and just knowledge. Um, but it's contextual of, of yeah. the age of, of the... And, the, and it, actually, I think not just the age, but... The exposure rate, I call it the exposure rate of what their what the person's environment is like. Are right. they rich in an environment where they have lots of amazing things in their life that they can draw on things to have a best life that would give them lots of opportunities to think of other ways? Or are they more um, small in their range of experience and therefore they can still have their best life, but it's going to come from a very different experience base. It might just be that, you know, I want to make sure that I pay off on my credit card debt. Whereas, you know, yeah. you have other people who are like, I want to make sure I don't lose in the stock market. Or, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, the best life is is so different in the answer. But by and large, people people want to be happy. Yeah. I mean, I just want to be I know, happy. But, yeah, and that, but that's a different thing to everybody. Right. Like, for example, I, I'm an overthinker. I'm a threat generator. And that, <laughs> led, that, led, to, that led to stress all my life. Yeah. And, of course, you have kids, and that adds more stress. Right. You're building a career. That right. leads to more stress. Uh, money, houses, it's stress, stress, stress. So you get to a point where I'm at the point in my life where I've paid my dues. Right. I've done, I've fought the wars. Right. You know, and I understand I still have stuff I have to deal with, but I still want time for myself where none of that matters. Right. And what you do is you find out that you go back to your best times. When were your best times? And they were when you were in the moment. Right. When you were just dealing with that. You weren't thinking, you weren't threat generating, you weren't thinking of all right. the things and by the way, you survived that just because you took your hand off the wheel on this small work issue for a week right. to go to Disneyland right. with your kids or something. Nobody died. Right. And you start learning those things. And so you start, first you start trying to find those, as you said, and then you work on creating them. Right. Yeah. That's so now the evolution. If I had had you in my office when you were a kid, and this is what I do with kids that are in the threat generating mode and all that starting really young, is I'll say to them, at the end of the day, did anyone die? Yeah. Did anyone f blow up in flames? You know, and yep. I add the humor in with some of those things because I want to show them that there's so many bad things, but they're really not as bad. Right. You know, the the 91 that makes someone, you know, stop eating and, and, yep. and fall apart. I'm like, you know, you're going to have about 500 more tests in the next two years yep. just alone. And no one's going to remember this 91. Yeah. Well, <laughs> or no one's going to remember you know, your MCAS score from, you know, last year, really, because yeah. it doesn't matter at the end of the day. It really doesn't matter. Where is this going to be six months from now? Right. Where is this going to be six weeks from now? Where is this going to be next week? Right. You know, how much energy do you want to give this? Right. So it's sort of counter. We want people to be present, 
but we want people to be present with a reality check and grounded that okay it's not as it's not as bad as we think it's not it's not going to be the end and that is so important because people get stuck in the I can't generate any other thoughts and alternatives of how this could go, where this right. is, where this has come from. So therefore, it must be this and only this. And yeah. then it's paralyzing for people emotionally. And I mean, that's one of the reasons why people get so stuck and ingrained in this that's anxiety and depression space. That's where we get to two of my favorite golf tips. And I, I call them golf tips because there's these little mantras of sayings that you can bring into situations and it helps you get perspective on them. And... Um, and I just forgot both of them, which it was. Uh, oh, first of all, thoughts are not facts. Yes. I'm a threat generator. And so I'm always generating threats. And just because I'm thinking it, just because I've worked out the scenario, doesn't mean that's the way it's going to go. Right. And that's a big t- corner to turn. Right. And, you know, so you have to keep that in mind. You just Thoughts are not facts. Thoughts are just um, just your mind throwing up threats. Threat yes. generator. Yeah. But people believe that those thoughts, because if you ask, because there's a technique that I use about, you know, it's cognitive behavioral therapy, essentially, but there's a technique in there where you challenge the thought. Yep. And people, I'll take them all the way through, and we get to that one point, and there's like two more parts after it. We have the worst time from, for almost all people getting over the challenge of the thought, because I ask people, find the fact in it. And people will say, what they say is a challenge. They'll say, well, because this is why it, it's true. And it's but it's not fact. But they believe that it's fact. Be- well, because so-and-so said this, because I did do this, because I am failure. And I'm like, but that's not fact. What do you have to back it up? But people have such a hard time stepping back to be able to observe that that isn't fact. That's just because someone told you that or because this happened, it doesn't mean yeah. everything. It's just one thing. Yeah, it's a 91. I'm not getting to Columbia because of it or I'm not getting in Brown because of it. And right. It's like, okay. But there's no fact to back that up. No. It's just a 91, right? Yeah. Or, you know, in, in terms of like when I work with people in addiction, it's oftentimes it's we get to that point where, I, you know, the person will say, well, I'm a failure. Mm-hmm. What makes you a failure? My parents said so. I stole from them. I, I did all these things. Okay, well, those are facts about yeah. what you did. But in general, are you a failure? Tell me the challenge it and tell me what is the fact. There is no one can generate that, and the, and people will sit with that, and at the end, you know, maybe it's two minutes, maybe it's twenty seconds, and they go, huh, because <laughs> yeah. it's like that little aha moment that there actually is no fact, but it's this storyline. How about I'm a survivor? How about I'm working on this? How about um, you know, I've had issues in the past. You're not a failure right now. You're working on this. Right. Yeah. Right. And failure doesn't mean you are a failure. Yeah. And I don't remember oh, if we talked about this. It means. There was a failure. There, there's a behavioral failure. There's a breakdown somewhere that happened, but without failure, and as cliche as it sounds, you have to have failure to be able to move forward. How do you learn? You know, parents who protect their kids from ever falling down, essentially, uh, yeah. literally and figuratively. Like, they're always there to buffer, always there to buffer, always there to buffer. No, let them take a Nobody, hit or two. You can't, you have no resiliency. Pick the well, hits, but let them take the hit. Right, yeah. and, and having, you know, well, I don't want them to have to learn the hard way. Well, sometimes that's really important <laughs> because you, you can't – how do they ever know how to fix it for themselves? You know, I have parents that do the smothering and the helicoptering of yep. I got to run into the school every time something is bad. I'm like, you're setting your kid up for bad mojo right. with their peers socially and with teachers that they can't fight their own battles. You're not giving them skills. You, it's, right. you know, all the best all the best intentions in those cases. But at the end of the day, you're setting up a kid to be super dependent on you – Right. as the fixer and that failure means imperfection therefore i'm bad and you don't love me plus it's the action consequence thing that we talked about right no you've got to do the extra credit you didn't do the work on that test you got to do the extra or that right. project you've got to right. do the extra credit right Which and is, it's okay you're not a failure right but this is what you did and so next time make sure you do the assignment and you won't have to be doing the extra credit work. right yeah. right which I see, I'm a big fan, and I don't know if you know about this stuff that they've introduced in a lot of school systems now, which I think is great. Some teachers, not all, but some teachers, if there's a failing grade, they'll let the student, they'll t- reteach to the student, and then they'll let them redo the exam or the whatever, and they won't give them the full grade, but they'll give them the partial because it's the yeah. process, and they reward the process, and it's not, you know, I'm not a believer in everybody gets a trophy right. because... I'm not, and coming from the background I'm in, and also the psychological research is, right. you know, it's it's good for everyone to build self-esteem for participating, 
but there is only one first place. Right. And and second and third and yeah. fourth and fifth and, and and to be proud of where you finish because if you don't that makes it worth working for. If you're, if you're forty thousand yeah. people in a marathon yeah. and you're thirty nine thousand six hundred because man I've been there right. <laughs> It doesn't matter what place it matters. How did you get there? I may, I know the story of how I made it right. all the way to the end of that, and it didn't matter how long it took me, what place I was in. All it mattered was what. But your goal wasn't to win the race. No, your goal was to complete the marathon. Right. And those programs you're talking about in school, it takes it off a grade orientation or a, or score orientation. Right. The object of it is to learn the material. It's to learn the material. It's not and, the score or the right. grade. It's just did you leave understanding the material and and i think that there's so much lost on so many levels and different venues around people's growth whether you're a little kid all the way up through if outcome is so important yeah. and when i like if i'm working with a pro athlete versus a regular you know recreational just starting out i always say we're not focusing on outcome we're focusing on one thing to get us better so that the outcome will come yeah the win will come if we do the work process you know, I mean, I, there's a great yeah. runner out there. His, his name's Roger Robinson. He's an amazing uh, master's runner. And he always talks about this with his coaching. He says, it, it's not about the win. The win will come. Just do the work. If you don't do the work, you're going to get what you put in. Yep. Same with same with kids in schoolwork. Same with athletes. Same with business. You know, if you're sitting behind a computer playing, you know, games all day and then your boss comes over and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm almost done. It's the same. It, and then they go at the end of the year, I didn't get my raise. Why? Because yeah. <laughs> you looked like you were doing it, but right. in fact you weren't. Yep. So it's that it's that process and so important to the ego and to the um, fostering up of, of confidence in kids. I think that's such an important thing with little kids. It's, you know, giving, giving an F to a, a, a child in, in first grade is, yeah. it, I mean, what does that do? Yeah. And what, again, you know, it's not a participation trophy, but, you know, what's the real goal here? Right. Yeah. And, and you know, so some of the schools, you know, the I mean, I know a lot of the public you schools. You give an F to a kid in first grade, and he doesn't test well for the rest of his life. Right. Well, potentially, right? Potentially, I mean, yeah. Because it's setting up that, yeah. you know, I mean, I teach at the college level now, and, and I get people now that come in before they even have me two or three days, and they're like, I'm a bad test taker. <laughs> they, <laughs> they preload me with, I don't take tests well. Is there yeah. any other way I can get a grade? They haven't even started with me yeah. yet to take my test and I said well let's see how the first one goes but you can immediately see yeah. the anxiety over I'm not going to do well it's pre-excuse though too yeah oh yeah. absolutely yeah. absolutely um, but you can see the mentality that. and by the way that's that's ego feeding as well absolutely because they're saving face from past test results by accepting the thought that they're bad testers. They're not right. bad testers. Right. Maybe they just had a bad, didn't put the work in or had a bad, had one bad test. Right. And they need an excuse because that helped them save face. I'm not, I'm not struggling with the material. I'm just a bad tester. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Which is, or, or I'm not, I don't know how to take a test well. Yeah. Like not, I'm a bad tester, but I just don't know how to take a test well because either I haven't been calm enough to take yeah. it or i don't know the strategies because most tests have strategies or um or or there's material that i don't know but but people don't look at it like that yeah. so i try to explain that to my students to say there's a couple options here why you might not be doing as well on tests you know that you're not doing i mean i was not a i was not when it came to the sat for instance yeah. or the big the big entry exams i and i can I, I can go back right to that moment going it was so anxiety provoking because it had so much meaning to my family and it had yeah. so much meaning to me that if I didn't do well and now it's like, I don't even, I just remember the know, experience right? of going into the room going, this is so overwhelming. And I thought, I, I you know, I'll just bubble everything, you know, back then. And <laughs> yeah. now, and it, I don't even know what the scores are relevant. I mean, it doesn't matter, but then yeah. it was everything that right. day and oh my gosh, my whole life is in front of me. And instead of it being, prepared just do the test know what you're doing and at the end yeah. of it, it will be fine but if i blow so this many... sit my life is over oh, really right yeah. right <laughs> yeah, you got some bigger things to deal with down the road but yeah. right but in that moment the yep. context is so much about it's just like the boss the boss said one thing to you and now <gasps> it's yep. like the sat that's so stressful and and it's just the management of being able to manage through that and what it means and people right. put so much meaning on on things that at the end of the day, yeah, they have meaning in the moment and they might move you forward in your career here and there. And those are all important things. But, you know, at the end of the day, are you having your best life even if something doesn't go exactly the way or is it ruining it? 
Like, right. Can you not find peace like you're talking about? Can you not find peace if something goes wrong? And, man, I see so many people that there's no peace. Yeah. No peace. Never. Because things yeah. go wrong, and it's that's the end. And it's it, no If things ever... haven't gone wrong, they're creating things in the future that are going to go wrong. They're worried right. about things in the future that are going to go wrong. It's like, okay, well, just be here now. Let's Chaos. Just, just do this. It's Bill Belichick. Yeah. You know, you're gonna you're gonna laugh. Yeah. And there's a book. I'm halfway through a book that yeah. I've been writing about this. Everything. I, it, basically, it's everything I need to know in life. I learned from Bill Belichick. Yeah. But one of the life-altering things for me was the press conference after the loss in, against Kansas City. Mm -hmm. The we're on to Cincinnati press conference. Yeah. Because I use that a lot. Yeah. No, we're on to Cincinnati. I use it in vernacular. And so when you so this is great when yeah. you heard when you heard that when when that and you listened to that what did you interpret what moved you about it was it just the simplicity was it the ability to just contain and well the Kansas City game was a disaster oh, well, yes <laughs> was a disaster but and it just it all started clicking with me it's like you can't do anything about that right all you can do is start preparing for what's next uh -huh. right? right you can't change the past and you have some control over the future. But it got me. Um, it got me living in the moment more, because that's you know, and it's just one week at a time. This is Belichick's philosophy. He doesn't talk about the past game. He doesn't talk about right. two weeks from now. He talks about this one. Do your job. All exactly. all these things are about getting staying in a good in good space, staying in the moment. And when we say stay in the moment, a lot of people balk at that because like, well, you got to plan. You got to right. think of your retirement. Gotta, yeah, it doesn't mean you don't plan for the future. Right. It just means is you deal with what you can deal with now. Right. I can't deal with what the stock market's going to be six months from now. Right. I can deal with what it is now. What it is right now. Yeah. Right. You can plan out what you want. Right. And right. and that's and that's and that's a huge uh, concept that people don't like. Like you said yeah. about staying present in the moment because they think that oh if I have to stay here I can't look out to the future and it means and you, you need to look out yeah. to the future. It means but, you're not shepherding the future and that's not true. Right. Yeah. And and Bill Belichick his I mean. His philosophy and his way of being about, you know, not going into what happened in the Kansas City game as we're going yeah. into the next. He's not going to do that because he knows it's mentally not good for himself. It's not good for the players. It's over. You, there's no more control. Right. The only control that he had was when he was coaching it. And it was only what he was coaching, whether or not his players acted on it. They were supposed to do their job. If they, That's why the team has worked so well together yeah. is because he has that philosophy is if you stay in your own lane do your job and you stay control what you can control job yeah. and everyone does their individual job together and stay in the moment then it works yeah plus for me it was incredibly freeing yeah it was like i can't do i can't fix that right all i can do is go forward right learn a lesson from it go forward take it into what's in front of me right now right and that's incredibly freeing not relitigating the past all the time that's what causes people a lot of heartache well, so in, in making that a little bit of a jump over, so when I work with, like, veterans with PTSD, I mean, one of the biggest things that they do, and, and anyone with trauma by sure. and large, goes yeah. in, and it's the undoing. It's the constant living in how do I go back and undo, the hope that I can go back and fix the past. Although, rationally, I've never met anyone that know, that says I can do that. Right. But, but it's the it's the... The ego's desire, the soul, the, the, sure. the super ego to go back and fix what went wrong. Um, and we perpetuate that out, you know, even if we don't have the same, say, you know, you don't have the veteran experience of being at war or some natural disaster or some sexual assault or something yeah. like that. We all try to go back and right. and rectify the past and undo it. And we spend so much time back there that it, it backs up on us and, and sticks because we can't get movement. We hope that we hope that our parents will be loving us the way we want them to. We will keep doing that until we <laughs> till we go yeah. to the grave. The even childhood if, wound. Even if the yeah. parent has passed. Yep. I have clients and, and I have family members that, you know, family members have passed and they just search and search constantly in their own conscious to, to just constantly be wanting to undo and hopes. And I'm like person is passed how yeah. are you going to do this and it's not making you feel any better but their guilt and all the other things that are driving it is so in the way it's the childhood wound yeah it's yeah the, it's the little fractures in the, in the right. ego but yeah. one of the and correct me if i'm wrong on this one one of the major things in everybody's life is when they have children when they become a parent yeah and i think a lot of people are refreshed by that because a lot of people 
find this as a new start. New okay, start. I didn't do this. My parents and I didn't get this right. Right. But I can get it right with my exactly. kids. You know, yep. with my kids and my parenting, it was my kid. My parents left me alone. They had an, I had an older sister and uh, uh, they paid a lot of attention to her because she needed it. And uh, uh, they kind of left me alone, which at the time growing up, I thought was ideal. I thought it was great. As long as I didn't come home with police cars behind me, everything was fine. Yeah. But yeah. then I'm making college decisions based on where I'm going to play hockey yeah. as opposed to what college I should be in, what right. I should be studying. So I learned that, you know, it would have been better if they'd been a little bit more involved. So with my kids, no, I'm sorry, I'm going to be involved. Yeah. You may chase, you may chafe at this, but I'm going to ask you what your classes are. I'm going to ask you what's yeah. going on. I'm going to be involved. Right. Yes. And, 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 that's, and that's what... So I was healing my wound about them not being involved enough by being involved in kids. Right. But then, if you can do it through your kids, you can do it through yourself, too. Right. In, in your own life. Exactly. Yeah. But so I was going to say that so many times that piece is, is, you know, people go to the extreme. So you had this, and now you've gone the other direction. You yeah. know, people go to the other side of it. And then, oh, then it's their kids are, I'm never going to do what my yeah. parents did, right? No, but hopefully I, I didn't do that. But, yeah, yeah. no, I, I recognize that possibility. It doesn't sound like you did. I yeah. mean, it doesn't sound like you did. You, I was aware of that possibility, and you don't want to go overboard. Right. But you just want them to know that you are paying attention and it's important to you. Right. Which is what I didn't get. Right. You know, I could have not gone to college. They wouldn't have known one way or the other. And right. it's not because they didn't love me or they didn't care or they anything. Didn't care. It's just, just right. things are going on in their lives. Right. You know, right. And well, and so when I think that, you know, parents often or people come in and say, when I have kids, I'm not doing that with them. Or yeah. when I, I'm never going to be a father like that. Or I'm never going to be a mother like that. And I always say, well, then what are you going to be? What are you going to do different? Yeah. Just to get that conversation started. Because I think that's such a common thing, like you said, that people say, I'm not going to do what my parent yeah. did. Um, okay, so what are you going to do? And that's you... usually telling, that's usually explaining the wound, isn't it? Yeah. They're not going to do what hurt them. Right. They're not going to do what hurt them. Yeah. And if they, but then they don't go further. Usually people just say, I'm not going to do that. Yep. And then when you say, well, what are you going to do? Yeah. Then it's, oh, <laughs> wait, <laughs> wait, I didn't think that far ahead. You know, well, yeah. how would you, how do you fix that? How do you repair that? How do you make sure you don't do that? What are you, steps are you going to take? You know, yeah. um, because I do see, because I see patients over long per periods of time, you know, years, that I do sometimes get to a point where I can say, well, you're sort of doing what you told me your father did. Yeah. <laughs> and they're you like, follow. oh, no, don't tell me yeah, that. Yeah, no, you fall, in, fall into it. Yeah. Because... And it's funny because there are so many things in my upbringing now that you talk about it, what, what my parents said. Yeah. That I consciously will refuse to say to my kids. Yeah. You know, and it's like it's not like I'm beating it down. I, my mother, one of her favorites, she used to look at me all the time. You spread out like a disease. <laughs> and, like, you know, and as an it, it did, I, I was a kid. Right. It didn't hit me that hard because I thought that's what parents said. Right. We all think that's our experience is right. everybody's experience. Right. But as an adult, looking at my own kids, I'm going, how could you say that to a kid? Right. It's a horrible thing to say to right. a kid. You know. Because because it goes back to what I said at the beginning of the show is how did you interpret that? Yeah. You know. I'm a disease. I'm bad. Yeah. I'm, there's something wrong Just with me. Your there's kid something a she doesn't like about me. Yeah. How do I make her like me more? Yep. Right? All those things go in there, and you never know what it's going to be off of the one phrase that comes out. Never know. And right. it's, it's, so, it's so important what people say, but people just don't filter. And, and, and often people think kids are resilient because kids are. Yeah. You know, no one's going to die off of being told that they're a disease, but inside that little emotional yeah. piece can get. But with that context of being a parent myself and looking at that child and yeah. saying, how could you, how could anyone, it, it stunned me as a parent looking back, how could anyone say that to a kid? Mm -hmm. But by the same token, they were 50s, 60s parents. You know, I was a 1990s, 2000 parent. Right. It's a whole right. different world, right? right. It's, a whole, it's a completely different world. So, well, so I have I a quick story. Hopefully it'll be quick, maybe. Um, so I had this client many, many years ago that came in with her daughter. She was about five or six years old. And, and I use this as a, an example of teaching the, one of the stages of how to not create guilt and shame in your child mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and independence and self-esteem. But um, she brought her in, and, and the mother, it, I, she was almost six, I think, and the little girl was very smart. She could articulate. She could sit because I really don't do kids that are really, really young because they have – very right. short attention spans, right. right? So she's so the little girl comes in and the mother says, "Here's what's going on. The couple was getting divorced, and you know the daughter was having some anxiety and stress, and the mother just wanted her to have help." 
it's all, by the way, it's always going to be the parent that needs to be in the room, just just as the end of the story before it yeah. gets there, right? Yep. So, so the little girl meets with me. By the second time she meets with me, she had told me she was going to go on like a play date. And mm. so she comes in. I said, oh, how was the play date? Was it good? And she told me she didn't go. And I said, oh, what happened? Why? And it, it falls out that the mother, talk about saying things that you shouldn't say, yeah. the mother told her that, you know, if you go, it will make me really sad, and oh. you'll be leaving me like your dad did. Oh no! <laughs> right? Oh no! And so no. that and that and I hear so in yeah. my business, I hear stuff like this all the time. And you know, and you know, in my traditional training, wow. keeping the yeah. keeping the, the the line and not breaking that fourth wall with her, you know, that cringe in my chest of, oh, I'm gonna have to talk to your mother. Yeah. <laughs> you wow. know, and she says, so I just stayed, you know, stayed home because I didn't want her to be alone. And the little girl was so matter of fact because it was her experience. This yep. was normal to her. Yep. And so, of course, I had mom. But she's come taking in. the load of her, the, what, oh, whatever the, went on between her mother parents. and her father. Yeah. Right. So the mother comes in, and the mother was funny. She's like, "Am I in trouble?" I said, <laughs> "No, but yes." No, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I told her about it and and, yeah. and everything. I said, "You can't say that stuff," and it didn't even dawn on her. And and knowing now I've known these people now for twenty years. She was probably trying to say something nice. She was probably yes. trying to say, "I'm going to miss you when you go." Yes, and that's what it but ended it came up being. Out, she yeah. just wanted to say, "I'm going to miss you," not "Don't go." But the little girl was like, "I don't want to go because you know," and but she did say. And I said, "Why did you tell her that you you know it's abandoning?" She goes, "I don't know." She didn't. Yeah. It wasn't even like a. It was just her emotions got in the way, and then because she didn't think, it went out on the kids. So so many times I see that. Right. People just say stuff. Adults say that, but you know, with kids, you have they're just little well, sponges, so they take everything so literally. Isn't that exactly what we're talking about? She was in a moment with her daughter, right. spending time with her daughter, and stuff that she was dealing with in that moment between her and her ex-husband came into that moment yeah it's like you should have been with your daughter you should right ideally you could set the you know the relationship stuff aside and just enjoy the time with your daughter ideally right Right. and and not have to also then disallow her from going or 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 not see that she wasn't going to go do her play date because of yeah. something that was in the, she, she didn't intend it but no got to be careful no. what she, and she was mortified yeah. when i yeah. connected it for her she was like oh god <laughs> you know so in and so 20 years <laughs> but later some people do intend it, it right we, yeah. we all have a laugh about it because i still see them and the you know girls now in college or yeah. she's out of college now but we we talk about it and it's still the the thing that comes up of like remember when remember when you said that you know so and the girl always says I'm never going to talk to my kids like that. All right, two things before yeah. we leave. We were yes. talking about your best life. Yes. And I'm guessing the first step to getting towards your best life is identifying what your best life is. Right. What and, it is for you. So right. identify what your best life is for you. I, what's a simple tool? How do we start figuring um, out what the best life is for us? So I think one of the best tools is writing down. You know, putting things out on paper. Visual is super important for Processing, people. Yeah. Processing, right? Getting thoughts into words. It, it means something. Yeah. And not not lists. People always think, oh, i got to write so much. It's such a pain. Yeah. I don't have time, right? Write two or three things down. Even if it's one thing, just write down what would be something that's important to you to make you have best life. And, you know, money, uh, peace, yeah. uh, children, uh, home, whatever it is, but a couple things down. And then once you get it on paper, then then there's you know more techniques to then manifest. How do you get there? What has to change? Are things okay in, in this discussion, like a home? Right. But a home represents more than just the home, too. Right. And, and, and then you define It's not out. like a Lamborghini. You don't want right. My best life it's, isn't. That's not necessarily what, in Malibu what, what and, we're looking for. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, but it's it's just to just to be aware that you want a best life and that you have the ability to have it and what what does it look like what would it look like paint the picture put it on paper um a savings account uh you know um children um keep my job for a year i mean depends on the context and whatever that is and then and then if there's three things for instance say there's three things on the list then one by one not all at the same time but one by one yeah how does that how does how does that come to be what is the next step people immediately see this is why therapy and office is good because people go from i want money i want a savings account that's big to it's either a million dollars or nothing and so it's well how do you get there so it's manifesting the steps to get there people hate doing the steps yeah because when it's easy when things come automatically it's like oh it works people you know you look at you look at elon musk and think he was a millionaire overnight no he did a lot of steps 
You know, when people go, oh, yeah. This is the golf tip here is thoughts become things. Right. And if you're thinking about, uh, if you're thinking about the past most often, you're living it. And if you're thinking about a threat, right. you self-fulfill the threat exactly. more often than not. Everyone right. knows that to the negative. Like you go into a job interview, I'm going to blow this job interview. I'm going to blow this job interview. What do you do? You right. blow the job you interview. You blow the job, right, because right. you go in with that the cognitive mindset and that set mindset, and it's there. It's so, absolutely there. So instead, I want to save $10,000 or I want to help my credit score or right. I, want the, I, I want to get my daughter into a, you know, a dance thing and I want her to, you know, I want her to transition to grade school to be good. Right. Focus on the positive things, and those things start to happen right. because you do yeah. small steps. Right, exactly. And and what are those steps? So if like it's the money thing, it's so it's, that's a really common one in yeah. in my office. Is like how do you save the money, you know? And and I go through different techniques of what will work. I try to tailor it for the person because some people are not good organizationally. Some people are not good um, just impulsively. Some people need to have certain things. So it's it's a matter of knowing yeah. the person and then being able to say, oh, that's your first goal. So now let's set four goals to get there. What does it look like? Yeah, and, that's an important part because if you were to say, I want to save $10,000, that's big. That's overwhelming. Right. All right, how about this month you save $100? Right. And then then people, you get momentum from that. You Huge. do it, you attain that goal, and you right. go, okay, I can do this. Next month it's going to be 150 Right. And you, well, and, and yeah. when you do out the math, because I just did this with a client recently, um, uh, that you do out the math and say, if you do – $20 a week out of your paycheck. You know, she just she's a waitress and a bartender and she does, yep. you know, I said if you just do $20 a week out of your paycheck and you do that every week for the next year and I showed her what the end number was and I said just imagine just $20 and her answer to me was, "Oh, I could do 50." Yep. And but she had to see it because in her right. head it was like just it's just, "Oh, it's this big thing I want, but I don't know how to get there." Yeah. But once I showed it to her because she said, I want this, and then I said, here's what would happen. She That it was, oh, I can do 50. Yeah. So in her mind, she could do it, and she's been doing it. And then in the process, she actually started paying off a whole bunch of her debt all of a sudden Yeah. because she got motivated because she could see it. This is the way it works with weight loss, too. Yeah. Yeah, I got to lose forty pounds. Okay, how about we start with how about five? Two? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> two pounds. Let's do two and pounds. How you about get that you going not pick up the bag of Doritos, s- Lou? Yeah, then, no Doritos for today. No Doritos. Had a Dorito no in hundred years, but yeah. Not to knock their company, but no. they're great. They're yummy, but they don't love. No, but um, when you make that first accomplishment, you get excited, right. and, you, and you go more, and you're in more. I remember, I lost forty, fifty some odd pounds, and it was just I developed a plan. It's like it's calorie deficit, five hundred calories a day. Right. Burn more calories than so I you eat. Take in. Right. right, exactly. And then so it started to work, and I started to get results. I'm going, I can do 1,000. Yeah. So I started working, and I was doing 1,000 calorie deficit right. a day. Right. That's you know, two pounds a week right there. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That would be, I think, something, I mean, people have talked to me about that. That would be a good show in the future for us to talk about the psychology of weight loss because yeah. it's on so many people. I get that. It's at least 10 times a week in my office and I'm working, you know, I work with my athletes on, you know, people that are doing like couch uh, to 5K, couch yep. to half marathon. People are trying to drop weight and how to do that and how to maintain and how to stay, you know, because of my other side of doing like the integrative medical piece that I do. So yep. it's it helps with I do the medical um, mental health stuff with the actual training. And so and people always love to talk about what yeah. really, you know, the whole concept of Noom out there, the the new weight loss program that's really not that new, but it's the one that's all cognitive behavioral based. It's all therapy based right. essentially to make people more motivated. And it's but, no coincidence that I started to make gains and all the other stuff once I started losing weight and getting into that program because that's the skill yeah, set you yeah. need. Well, yeah, but it was the disciplines and the skill sets. I don't want to use discipline because people get turned off by that right. word too. But it's, it's the, the structure for that you needed for yourself. It's right. It, right. It's not discipline because people think of it as will and, and want and, and weakness or not. But it's it's the structure you provide yourself to flourish in, and it's different for everybody. Yeah. Like what your structure is is different than like what my structure would be. You know, there's certain nutritional things that have to be met right. in order to maintain certain things. But by and large, the way you do it is going to be very individualized yeah. and based on your own mindset too, and what motivates you versus not. If you tell people you can't eat. You can't eat that. I don't tell people they can't eat that. No. I say there could be a better choice. I always describe my weight loss as I just didn't eat stupid 100% of the time. There you go. <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah. It's like I, I never denied myself anything, right. but it was always I get into the mindset of, well, I could have that piece of pizza or I could, you know, or I could 
have a stake tonight. Right. Exactly. Like yeah. And and that's and it's so it's so that's the cognitive behavioral piece that in therapy that I it's like it's just generating an alternative. You can have the piece of pizza. Yep. You can have two pieces of pizza, but later you're not going to have a baked potato and pasta. Yeah. Because yeah, now exactly. now now later you have to have a salad because you're maintaining yep. your balance of what you're going to Actually, have, it was. I, I could have those M&Ms or I could have Bailey's tonight. It was, <laughs> it was those kind of choices. Or the glass of wine. Yeah. Or, or the vodka tonic, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> I, and before we leave, yes. why do therapists ask people where they feel it? So. This has always fascinated me. Okay, so. I was always stumped by this question. So. Yeah. So the main reason that I ask that is because when you ask someone where they're feeling it, mm-hmm. it takes them out of their head about what they're thinking about the answer and actually puts them into the grounding of the body and the experience itself yep. to actually get a genuine, to know what you're, you'll actually know what you're actually feeling and how it really impacts you when you say, where do you feel that? And there's different, if you feel it in your stomach versus your head versus, it gives me as a clinician a lot of information about where you hold your stress. So if you feel it in your head, that means you're overthinking. Your overthinking process is causing you greater yeah. cardiovascular stre- uh, uh, vascular constriction in your head. If you're feeling it in your oh, heart, so there's it's an actual physical component. To so, this. so yeah. there's you know, if you're holding it down in your abdomen, you'll find that people who hold their stress, and you find that out. Um, would they come in? They have IBS, right? You know, mm, irritable yep. bowel syndrome. And then you say, well, where do you feel it when you feel sad? Right here, huh? Coincidence. Yeah. And pointing out the connections between the mind and the body of how they're impacting each other is the most common reason for asking that. There are some really great techniques I use on um, that are actually based in drama therapy and 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 performance and drama. Interesting. That actually use um, breathing techniques that are not kind of the old cliche breathe in, breathe out, but use um, colors and movement and shapes and things to teach people how to actually be aware of where they feel something and how to move it around them so they get a sense of control. Yeah. So it's... identifying where you feel something has a lot of cool stuff that So goes this with is it. the psychological equi- equivalent to breathing and meditation. Yeah. To get you out of your head. Yeah. Or, or get get your intellect, intellect out of your mind. Right, to stop overthinking right. so that it becomes really um, present versus Yeah. And know. gets you into observing Right. As opposed to swimming in it. Right. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So the time on the wall says. It's time to go. We're time to wrap it up. So thank you so much, Lou. It was a great uh, chat today. Yeah. And next week we'll come back and maybe we'll talk about weight loss and other good stuff like that. Contact information is on the screen, but you have offices in Bedford and Bedford Tewksbury. Bedford and Tewksbury, mm-hmm. Mass. And uh, yes, and certainly I welcome all the thoughts and, and ideas that people have been sending me during the week. So. Please keep doing that. It's great. All right. Thank and, you so much. Uh, you have Daily Game Face on Facebook. If you, You've got the link there, so you can go there. Yeah. And uh, podcasts on uh, right now on Spotify. Spotify. Google Podcasts. Google. Apple soon. We're working on it. Uh, Apple soon. Today? Yeah. Yeah, we'll <laughs> Hopefully. See. It's up to uh, Apple. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much. Have a great week, everybody.